Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes Adventure 6 The Man with the Twisted Lip by Arthur Conan Doyle We made our way downstairs as quietly as possible and out into the bright morning sunshine. In the road stood our horse and trap, with a half-clad stable-boy waiting at the head. We both sprang in, and away we dashed down the London road. A few country carts were stirring, bearing in vegetables to the metropolis, but the lines of villas on either side were as silent and lifeless as some city in a dream. "'It has been in some points a singular case,' said Holmes, flicking the horse into a gallop. "'I confess that I have been as blind as a mole, but it is better to learn wisdom late than never to learn it at all.' In town, the earliest risers were just beginning to look sleepily from their windows as we drove through the streets of the Surrey side. Passing down the Waterloo Bridge Road, we crossed over the river and, dashing up Wellington Street, wheeled sharply to the right and found ourselves in Bow Street. Sherlock Holmes was well known to the force, and the two constables at the door saluted him. One of them held the horse's head while the other led us in. "'Who is on duty?' asked Holmes. "'Inspector Bradstreet, sir.' "'Ah, Bradstreet, how are you?' A tall, stout official had come down the stone-flagged passage, in a peaked cap and frog jacket. "'I wish to have a quiet word with you, Bradstreet.' "'Certainly, Mr. Holmes. Step into my room here.' It was a small, office-like room with a large ledger upon the table and a telephone projecting from the wall. The inspector sat down at his desk. "'What can I do for you, Mr. Holmes?' I called about that beggar man, Boone, the one who was charged with being concerned in the disappearance of Mr. Neville St. Clair of Lee. Yes, he was brought up and remanded for further inquiries. So I heard. You have him here? In the cells. Is he quiet? Oh, he gives no trouble. But he is a dirty scoundrel. Dirty? Yes, it is all we can do to make him wash his hands, and his face is as black as a tinker's. Well... Once his case has been settled, he will have a regular prison bath, and I think if you saw him, you would agree with me that he needed it. I should like to see him very much. Would you? That is easily done. Come this way. You can leave your bag. No, I think I'll take it. Very good. Come this way, if you please. He led us down a passage, opened a barred door, passed down a winding stair, and brought us to a whitewashed corridor with a line of doors on each side. "'The third door on the right is his,' said the inspector. "'Here it is.' He quietly shot back a panel in the upper part of the door and glanced through. "'He is asleep,' said he. "'You can see him very well.' We put both our eyes to the grating. The prisoner lay with his face towards us, in a very deep sleep, breathing slowly and heavily. He was a middle-sized man, coarsely clad as became his calling, with a colored shirt protruding through the rents in his tattered coat." He was, as the inspector had said, extremely dirty, but the grime which covered his face could not conceal its repulsive ugliness. A broad wheel from an old scar ran right across it from eye to chin, and by its contraction had turned up one side of the upper lip, so that three teeth were exposed in a perpetual snarl. A shock of very bright red hair grew low over his eyes and forehead. "'He's a beauty, isn't he?' said the inspector. "'He certainly needs a wash,' remarked Holmes. "'I had an idea that he might, "'and I took the liberty of bringing the tools with me.' "'He opened his Gladstone bag as he spoke "'and took out, to my astonishment, 
a very large bath sponge. Hee-hee, <laughs> you are a funny one, chuckled the inspector. Now, if you will have the great goodness to open that door very quietly, we shall soon make him cut a much more respectable figure. Well, I don't know why not, said the inspector. He doesn't look a credit to the Bow Street cells, does he? He slipped his key into the lock, and we all very quietly entered the cell. The sleeper half turned, and then settled down once more into a deep slumber. Holmes stooped to the water jug, moistened his sponge, and then rubbed it twice vigorously across and down the prisoner's face. "'Let me introduce you,' he shouted, "'to Mr. Neville St. Clair of Lee, in the county of Kent. "'Never in my life have I seen such a sight. "'The man's face peeled off under the sponge like the bark from a tree. "'Gone was the coarse brown tint, "'gone too the horrid scar which had seamed it across, "'and the twisted lip which had given the repulsive sneer to the face. "'A twitch brought away the tangled red hair, and there—' Sitting up in his bed was a pale, sad-faced, refined-looking man, black-haired and smooth-skinned, rubbed his eyes and staring about him with sleepy bewilderment. Then suddenly realizing the exposure, he broke into a scream and threw himself down with his face to the pillow. "'Great heaven!' cried the inspector. "'It is indeed the missing man. I know him from the photograph.' The prisoner turned with the reckless air of a man who abandons himself to his destiny. "'Be it so!' said he. And pray, what am I charged with? With making away with Mr. Neville St. Oh, come, you can't be charged with that, unless they make a case of attempted suicide of it, said the inspector with a grin. Well, I have been twenty-seven years in the force, but this really takes the cake. If I am Mr. Neville St. Clair, then it is obvious that no crime has been committed, and that, therefore, I am illegally detained." "'No crime, but a very great error has been committed,' said Holmes. "'You would have done better to have trusted your wife.' "'It was not the wife. It was the children,' groaned the prisoner. "'God help me. I would not have them ashamed of their father. "'My God, what an exposure! What can I do?' Sherlock Holmes sat down beside him on the couch and patted him kindly on the shoulder. "'If you leave it to a court of law to clear the matter up,' said he, of course you can hardly avoid publicity. On the other hand, if you convince the police authorities that there is no possible case against you, I do not know that there is any reason that the details should find their way into the papers. Inspector Bradstreet would, I am sure, make notes upon anything which you might tell us, and submit it to the proper authorities. The case would then never go into court at all. "'God bless you!' cried the prisoner passionately. "'I would have endured imprisonment,' I even execution rather than have let my miserable secret as a family blot to my children. You are the first who have ever heard my story. My father was a schoolmaster in Chesterfield, where I received an excellent education. I traveled in my youth, took to the stage, and finally became a reporter on an evening paper in London. One day my editor wished to have a series of articles upon begging in the metropolis, and I volunteered to supply them. There was the point from which all my adventures started. It was only by trying begging as an amateur that I could get the facts upon which to base my articles. When an actor I had, of course, learned all the secrets of making up, and had been famous in the green room for my skill. I took advantage now of my attainments. I painted my face, and to make myself as pitiable as possible, I made a good scar, and fixed one side of my lip in a twist by the aid of a small slip of flesh-colored plaster. Then, with a red head of hair and an appropriate dress, I took my station in the busiest part of the city, ostensibly as a match-seller, 
but really as a beggar. For seven hours I plied my trade, and when I returned home in the evening I found, to my surprise, that I had received no less than twenty-six shillings and fourpence. I wrote my articles, and thought little more of the matter, until, some time later, I backed a bill for a friend, and had a writ served upon me for twenty-five pounds. I was at my wit's end, where to get the money, but a sudden idea came to me. I begged a fortnight's grace from the creditor, asked for a holiday from my employers, and spent the time in begging in the city under my disguise. In ten days I had the money, and had paid the debt. Well, you can imagine how hard it was to settle down to arduous work at two pounds a week, when I knew that I could earn as much in a day by smearing my face with a little paint, laying my cap on the ground and sitting still. It was a long fight between my pride and the money. But the dollars won at last, and I threw up reporting, and sat day after day in the corner which I had first chosen, inspiring pity by my ghastly face, and filling my pockets with coppers. Only one man knew my secret. He was the keeper of a low den in which I used to lodge in Swandham Lane, where I could every morning emerge as a squalid beggar, and in the evenings transform myself into a well-dressed man about town. This fellow, a Lascar, was well paid by me for his rooms, so that I knew that my secret was safe in his possession. Well, very soon I found that I was saving considerable sums of money. I do not mean that any beggar in the streets of London could earn seven hundred pounds a year, which is less than my average takings. But I had exceptional advantages in my power of making up, and also in a facility in repartee, which improved my practice and made me quite a recognized character in the city. All day a stream of pennies, varied by silver, poured in upon me, and it was a very bad day upon which I failed to make two pounds. As I grew richer I grew more ambitious, took a house in the country, and eventually married without anyone having a suspicion as to my real occupation. My dear wife knew that I had business in the city. She little knew what. Last Monday I had finished for the day, and was dressing in my room above the opium den, when I looked out of the window and saw, to my horror and astonishment, that my wife was standing in the street with her eyes fixed full upon me. I gave a cry of surprise, threw up my arms to cover my face, and rushing to my confidant, the Lascar, entreated him to prevent anyone from coming up to me. I heard her voice downstairs, but I knew that she could not ascend. Swiftly I threw off my clothes, pulled on those of a beggar, and put on my pigments and wig. Even a wife's eyes could not pierce so complete a disguise. But then it occurred to me that there might be a search in the room, and that the clothes might betray me. I threw open the window, reopening by my violence a small cut which I had afflicted upon myself in the bedroom that morning. Then I seized my coat, which was weighted by the coppers which I had just transferred to it from the leather bag in which I carried my takings. I hurled it out of the window, and it disappeared into the Thames. The other clothes would have followed, but at that moment there was a rush of constables up the stair, and a few minutes after I found, rather, I confess to my relief, that instead of being identified as Mr. Neville St. Clair, I was arrested as his murderer. I do not know that there is anything else for me to explain. I was determined to preserve my disguise as long as possible, and hence my preference for a dirty face. Knowing that my wife would be terribly anxious, I slipped off my ring and confided it to the Lascar at a moment when no constable was watching me, together with a hurried scrawl, telling her that she had no cause to fear. That note only reached her yesterday, said Holmes. Good God, what a week she must have spent. The police have watched this Lascar, said Inspector Bradstreet, and I can quite understand that he might find it difficult to post a letter unobserved. Probably he handed it to some sailor customer of his, who forgot all about it for some days. 
That was it, said Holmes, nodding approvingly. I have no doubt of it. But have you never been prosecuted for begging? Many times, but what was a fine to me? It must stop here, however, said Bradstreet. If the police are to hush this thing up, there must be no more of Hugh Boone. I have sworn it by the most solemn oath which a man can take. In that case, I think that it is probable that no further steps may be taken. But if you are found again, then all must come out. I am sure, Mr. Holmes, that we are very much indebted to you for having cleared this matter up. I wish I knew how you reach your results. I reached this one, said my friend, by sitting upon five pillows and consuming an ounce of shag. I think, Watson, that if we drive to Baker Street, we shall just be in time for breakfast. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>